Chapter Twelve of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer-Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. O thou, whoever thou art, who through every use bendest nature to works foreign and strange, and by spying into her secrets enterest at thy will into the closest recesses of the human mind, O speak, O tell me. Early the next morning the young Englishmen mounted their horses, and took the road towards Baye. Glyndon left word at his hotel, that if Signor Zanoni sought him, it was in the neighbourhood of that once celebrated watering-place of the ancients that he should be found. They passed by Viola's house, but Glyndon resisted the temptation of pausing there, and after threading the grotto of Posilipo they wound by a circuitous route back into the suburbs of the city, and took the opposite road which conducts to Portici and Pompeii. It was late at noon when they arrived at the former of these places. Here they halted to dine, for Mervali had heard much of the excellence of the macaroni at Portici, and Mervali was born of Viviant. They put up at an inn of very humble pretensions, and dined under an awning, Mervali was more than usually gay. He pressed the lacrima upon his friend, and conversed gaily. "'Well, my friend, we have foiled Signor Zanoni in one of his predictions, at least. You will have no faith in him hereafter. The ideas are come, not gone. Tush, if he be the soothsayer, you are not the Caesar. It is your vanity that makes you credulous. Thank heaven I do not think of myself of such importance that the operations of nature should be changed in order to frighten me.' but why should the operations of nature be changed there may be deeper philosophy than we dream of a philosophy that discovers the secrets of nature but does not alter by penetrating its courses ah you relapse into your heretical credulity you seriously suppose zanoni to be a prophet a reader of the future perhaps an associate of genii and spirits here the landlord a little fat oily fellow came up with a fresh bottle of lacrima he hoped their excellencies were pleased. He was most touched to the heart that they liked the macaroni. Were their excellencies going to Vesuvius? There was a slight eruption. They could not see it where they were, but it was pretty, and would be prettier still after sunset. "'Capital idea!' cried Mervali. "'What say you, Glyndon?' "'I have not yet seen an eruption. I would like it much.' "'But is there no danger?' asked the prudent Mervali oh not at all the mountain is very civil at present it only plays a little just to amuse their excellencies the english well order the horses and bring the bill we will go before it is dark clarence my friend nuncas babendum but take care of the pide libero which will scarce do for walking on lava the bottle was finished the bill paid the gentleman mounted the landlord bowed and they bent their way in the cool of the delightful evening towards Resina the wine perhaps the excitement of his thoughts animated glyndon whose unequal spirits were at times high and brilliant as those of a schoolboy released and the laughter of the northern tourists sounded oft and merrily along the melancholy domains of buried cities hesperus had lighted his lamp amidst the rosy skies as they arrived at Resina. here they quitted their horses and took mules and a guide as the sky grew darker and more dark the mountain fire burned with an intense lustre in various streaks and streamlets the fountain of flame rolled down the dark summit and the englishmen began to feel increase upon them as they descended 
that sensation of solemnity and awe which makes the very atmosphere that surrounds the giant of the plains of the antique hades it was night when leaving the mules they ascended on foot accompanied by their guide and a peasant who bore a rude torch the guide was conversable garrulous fellow like most of his country and his calling and mervali who possessed a sociable temper loved to amuse or to instruct himself on every incidental occasion ah excellency said the guide your countrymen have a strong passion for the volcano long life to them they bring us plenty of money if our fortunes depended upon the neapolitans we should starve true they have no curiosity said mervali do you remember glyndon the contempt with which that old count said to us you will go to vesuvius i suppose i have never been why should i go you have cold you have hunger you have fatigue you have danger and all for nothing but to see the fire which looks just as well in a brazier as on a mountain ha ha that old fellow was right but excellency said the guide that is not all some cavaliers think to ascend the mountain without our help i am sure they deserve to tumble into the crater they must be bold fellows to go alone you don't often find such sometimes among the french signor but the other night i never was so frightened i had been with an english party and a lady had left a pocket-book on the mountain where she had been sketching she offered me a handsome sum to return for it and bring it to her at naples so i went in the evening i found it sure enough and was about to return when i saw a figure that seemed to emerge from the crater itself the air there was so pestiferous that i could not have conceived a human creature could breathe it and live i was so astounded that i stood still as stone till the figure came over the hot ashes and stood before me face to face santa maria what a head what hideous no so beautiful but so terrible it had nothing human in its aspect and what said the salamander nothing it did not even seem to perceive me though i was as near as i am to you but its eyes seemed to merge prying into the air it passed by me quickly and walking across the stream of burning lava soon vanished on the other side of the mountain i was curious and foolhardy and resolved to see if i could bear the atmosphere which this visitor had left but though i did not advance within thirty yards of the spot at which he first appeared i was driven back by a vapour that well-nigh stifled me cospetto i have spat blood ever since now i will lay a wager that you fancy this fire-king must be zanoni whispered mervali laughing the little party had now arrived nearly at the summit of the mountain and unspeakably grand was the spectacle upon which they gazed from the crater rose a vapour intensely dark that overspread the whole background of the heavens in the centre whereof rose a flame and assumed a form singularly beautiful it might have been compared to a crest of gigantic feathers the diadem of the mountain high arc and drooping downward with the hues delicately shaded off and the whole shifting and tremulous as the plumage on a warrior's helmet the glare of the flame spread luminous and crimson over the dark and rugged ground on which they stood and drew an innumerable variety of shadows from crag and hollow an oppressive and sulphurous exultation served to increase the gloomy and sublime terror of the place but on turning from the mountain and toward the distant and unseen ocean the contrast was wonderfully great the heavens serene and blue the stars still calm as the eyes of divine love 
it was as if the realms of the opposing principles of evil and of good were brought into one view before the gaze of man glyndon once more the enthusiast the artist was enchained and entranced by the emotions vague and undefinable half of delight and half of pain leaning on the shoulder of his friend he gazed round him and heard with deepening awe the rumbling of the earth below the wheels and voices of the ministry of nature in her darkest and most inscrutable recess suddenly as a bomb from a shell a huge stone was flung hundreds of yards up from the jaws of the crater and falling with a mighty crash on the rock below split into ten thousand fragments which bounded down the sides of the mountain sparkling and groaning as they went one of these the largest fragment struck the narrow space of soil between the englishman and the guide not three feet from the spot where the former stood mervali uttered an exclamation of terror and glyndon held his breath and shuddered diavolo cried the guide descend excellencies descend we have not a moment to lose follow me close so saying the guide and peasant fled with as much swiftness as they were able to bring to bear mervali ever more prompt and ready than his friend imitated their example and glyndon more confused than alarmed followed close but they had not gone many yards before with a rushing and sudden blast came from the crater an enormous volume of vapor it pursued it overtook it overspread them it swept the light from the heavens it was abrupt and utter darkness and through the gloom was heard the shout of the guide already distant and lost in an instant amidst the sound of the rushing gust and the groans of the earth beneath glyndon paused he was separated from his friend from the guide he was alone with the darkness and the terror the vapor rolled sullenly away the form of the plumed fire was again dimly visible and its struggling and perturbed reflection again shed a glow over the horrors of the path glyndon recovered himself and sped onward below he heard the voice of mervali calling on him though he no longer saw his form the sound served as a guide dizzy and breathless he bounded forward then hark a sudden slow roiling sound in his ear he halted and turned back to gaze the fire had overflowed its course it had opened itself a channel amidst the furrows of the mountain the stream pursued him fast fast and the hot breath of the chasing and preternatural foe came closer and closer upon his cheek he turned aside he climbed desperately with hands and feet upon a crag that to the right broke and scathed and blasted level of the soil the stream rolled beside and beneath him and then taking a sudden wind round the spot on which he stood interposed its liquid fire a broad and impassable barrier between his resting-place and escape there he stood cut off from descent with no alternative but to retrace his steps toward the crater and thence seek without guide or clue some other pathway for a moment his courage left him he cried in despair and in that overstrained pitch of a voice which is never heard afar off to the guide to mervali to return to aid him no answer came and the english thus abandoned solely to his own resources felt his spirit and energy rise against the danger he turned back and ventured as far towards the crater as the noxious exhalation would permit then gazing below carefully and deliberately he chalked out for himself a path by which he trusted to shun the direction of the fire-stream had taken and trod firmly and quickly over the crumbling and heated strata he had proceeded about fifty yards when he halted abruptly an unspeakable and unaccountable horror 
not hitherto experienced amidst all his peril overcame him he shook in every limb his muscles refused his will he felt as it were palsied and death-stricken the horror i say was unaccountable for the path seemed clear and safe the fire above and behind burned clear and far and beyond the stars lent him their cheering guidance no obstacle was visible no danger seemed at hand and thus spellbound and panic-stricken he stood chained to the soil his breast heaving large drops rolling down his brow and his eyes staring wildly from their sockets he saw before him at some distance gradually shaping itself more and more distinctly to his gaze a colossal shadow a shadow that seemed partially borrowed from the human shape but immensely above the human stature vague dark almost formless and differing he could not tell where or why not only from the proportions but also from the limbs and outline of man the glare of the volcano that seemed to shrink and collapse from this gigantic and appalling apparition nevertheless threw its light redly and steadily upon another shape that stood beside quiet and motionless and it was perhaps the contrast of these two things the being and the shadow that impressed the beholder with the difference between them the man and the superhuman it was but for a moment nay for the tenth part of a moment that this sight was permitted to the wanderer a second eddy of sulphurous vapors from the volcano yet more rapidly yet more densely than its predecessor rolled over the mountain and either the nature of the exhalation or the excess of his own dread was such that glyndon after one wild gasp for breath fell senseless on the earth what have i if i possess not all said the youth mervali and the italians arrived in safety at the spot where they had left the mules and not till they had recovered their own alarm and breath did they think of glyndon but then as the minutes passed he appeared not mervali whose heart was as good at least as human hearts are in general grew seriously alarmed he insisted on returning to search for his friend and by dint of prodigal promises prevailed at last on the guide to accompany him the lower part of the mountain lay calm and white in the starlight and the guide's practiced eye could discern all objects on the surface at a considerable distance they had not however gone very far before they perceived two forms slowly approaching them as they came near mervale recognized the form of his friend thank heaven he is safe he cried turning to the guide holy angels befriend us said the italian trembling behold the very being that crossed me last friday night it is he but his face is human now signor inglesi said the voice of zanoni as glyndon pale wan and silent returned passively the joyous greeting of mervale signor inglesi i told your friend that we should meet to-night you see you have not foiled my prediction but how but where stammered mervale in great confusion and surprise i found your friend stretched on the ground overpowered by the mephetic exhalation of the crater i bore him to a purer atmosphere and as i know the mountain well i have conducted him safely to you this is all our history you see sir that were it not for that prophecy which you desired to frustrate your friend would ere this time have been a corpse one minute more and the vapour had done its work adieu good night and pleasant dreams but my preserver you will not leave us said glyndon anxiously and speaking for the first time will you not return with us zanoni paused and drew glyndon aside young man said he gravely it is necessary that we should again meet to-night 
it is necessary that you should ere the first hour of morning decide on your own fate i know that you have insulted her whom you profess to love it is not too late to repent consult not your friend he is sensible and wise but not now is his wisdom needed there are times in life when from the imagination and not the reason should wisdom come this for you is one of them i ask not your answer now collect your thoughts recover your jaded and scattered spirits it wants two hours of midnight before midnight i will be with you incomprehensible being replied the englishman i would leave the life you have preserved in your own hands but what i have seen this night has swept even viola from my thoughts a fiercer desire than that of love burns in my veins the desire not to resemble but to surpass my kind the desire to penetrate and to share the secret of your own existence the desire of a preternatural knowledge and unearthly power i make my choice in my ancestor's name i adjure and remind thee of thy pledge instruct me school me make me thine and i surrender to thee at once and without a murmur the woman who till i saw thee i would have defied a world to obtain i bid thee consider well on the one hand viola a tranquil home a happy and serene life on the other hand all is darkness darkness that even these eyes cannot penetrate but thou hast told me that if i wed viola i must be contented with the common existence if i refuse it is to aspire to thy knowledge and thy power vain man knowledge and power are not happiness but they are better than happiness say if i marry viola wilt thou be my master my guide say this and i am resolved it were impossible then i renounce her i renounce love i renounce happiness welcome solitude welcome despair if they are the entrances to thy dark and sublime secret i will not take thy answer now before the last hour of midnight thou shalt give it in one word ay or no farewell till then zanoni waved his hand and descending rapidly was seen no more glyndon rejoined his impatient and wondering friend but mervale gazing upon his face saw that a great change had passed there the flexile and dubious expression of youth was for ever gone the features were locked rigid and stern and so faded was the natural bloom that an hour seemed to have done the work of years what is it that conceals itself behind this veil on returning from vesuvius or pompeii you enter naples through its animated almost neapolitan quarter through that quarter in which modern life most closely resembles the ancient and in which when on a fair day the thoroughfare swarms alike with indolence and trade you are impressed at once with the recollection of that restless lively race which the population of naples derives its origin so that in one day you may see at pompeii the habitations of a remote age and on the mole at naples you may imagine you behold the very beings with whom those habitations have been peopled but now as the englishman rode slowly through the deserted streets lighted but by lamps of heaven all the gaiety of the day was hushed and breathless here and there stretched under portico or a dingy booth were sleeping groups of houseless lazzaroni a tribe now merging with its indolent individuality amidst an energetic and active population the englishman rode on in silence for glyndon neither appeared to heed nor to hear the questions and comments of mervale and mervale himself was almost as weary as the jaded animal he bestrode 
suddenly the silence of earth and ocean was broken by the sound of a distant clock that proclaimed the quarter preceding the last hour of night glyndon started from his reverie and looked anxiously round as the final stroke died the noise of hoofs rung on the broad stones of the pavement and from a narrow street to the right emerged the form of a solitary horseman he neared the englishman and glyndon recognized the features and mien of zanoni what do we meet again signor said mervali in a vexed but drowsy tone your friend and i have business together replied zanoni as he wheeled his steed to the side of glyndon but it will soon be transacted perhaps you sir will ride on to your hotel alone there is no danger returned zanoni with a slight expression of disdain in his voice none to me but to glyndon danger from me ah perhaps you are right go on my dear mervali said glyndon i will join you before you reach the hotel mervali nodded whistled and pushed his horse into a kind of amble now your answer quick i have decided the love of viola has vanished from my heart the pursuit is over you have decided i have and now my reward thy reward well ere this hour to-morrow it shall await thee zanoni gave rein to his horse it sprang forward with a bound and sparks flew from its hoofs and horse and rider disappeared amidst the shadows of the street whence they had emerged mervali was surprised to see his friend by his side a minute after they had parted what has passed between you and zanoni mervali do not ask me to-night i am in a dream i do not wonder at it for even i am in a sleep let us push on in the retirement of his chamber glyndon sought to recollect his thoughts he sat down on the foot of his bed and pressed his hands tightly to his throbbing temples the events of the last few hours the apparition of the gigantic and shadowy companion of the mystic amidst the fires and clouds of vesuvius the strange encounter with zanoni himself on a spot which he could never by ordinary reasoning have calculated on finding glyndon filled his mind with emotions in which terror and awe the least prevailed a fire the train of which had been long laid was alighted at his heart the asbestos fire that once lit is never to be quenched all his early aspirations his young ambition his longings for the laurel were merged with one passionate yearning to surpass the bonds of the common knowledge of man and reach that solemn spot between two worlds on which the mysterious stranger appeared to have fixed his home far from recalling with renewed affright the remembrance of the apparition that had so appalled him the recollection only served to kindle and concentrate his curiosity into a burning focus he had set aright love had vanished from his heart there was no longer a serene space amidst its disordered elements for human affection to move and breathe the enthusiast was rapt from this earth and he would have surrendered all that mortal beauty ever promised that mortal hope ever whispered for one hour with zanoni beyond the portals of the visible world he rose oppressed and fevered with the new thoughts that raged within him and threw open his casement for air the ocean lay suffused in the starry light and the stillness of the heavens never more eloquently preached the morality of repose to the madness of earthly passions but it was glyndon's mood that their very hush only served to deepen the wild desires that preyed upon his soul and the solemn stars that are mysteries in themselves seemed a kindred sympathy to agitate the wings of the spirit no longer contended with its cage 
as he gazed a star shot from its brethren and vanished from the depth of space oh begone by heaven i love thee better than myself for i came hither armed against myself romeo and juliet the young actress and gionetta had returned from the theatre and viola fatigued and exhausted had thrown herself on a sofa while gionetta busied herself with the long stresses which released from the fillet that bound them half concealed the form of the actress like a veil of threads of gold as she smoothed the luxuriant locks the old nurse ran gossiping on about the little events of the night the scandal and politics of the scenes and the tire-room gionetta was a worthy soul almanzor in dryden's tragedy of almahide did not change sides with more gallant indifference than the exemplary nurse she was at last grieved and scandalized that viola had not selected one chosen cavalier but the choice she left wholly to her fair charge zegri or aben Karage, glinden or zanoni it had been the same to her except that the rumours she had collected respecting the latter combined with his own recommendations of his rival had given her preference to the englishman she had interpreted the ill the impatient and heavy sigh with which viola greeted her praises of glyndon and her wonder that he had of late so neglected his attention behind the scenes and she exhausted all her powers of panegyric upon the supposed object of the sigh and then too she said if nothing else were to be said against the other signor it is enough that he is about to leave naples leave naples zanoni yes darling in passing the mole to-day there was a crowd round some outlandish-looking sailors his ship arrived this morning and anchors in the bay the sailors say that they are to be prepared to sail with the first wind they were taking in fresh stores they leave me gianetta leave me the time had already passed when the girl could confide in gianetta her thoughts had advanced to that point when the heart recoils from all confidence and feels that it cannot be comprehended alone now in the principal apartment of the house she paced its narrow boundaries with tremulous and agitated steps she recalled the frightful suit of nico the injurious taunt of glyndon and she sickened at the remembrance of the hollow applauses which bestowed on the actress only subjected her to contumely and insult in that room the recollection of her father's death the withered laurel and the broken cords rose chillily before her hers she felt was a yet gloomier fate the cords may break while the laurel is yet green the lamp waning in its socket burned pale and dim and her eyes instinctively turned from the dark corner of the room orphaned by the heart of thy parent dost thou fear the presence of the dead and was zanoni indeed about to quit naples should she see him no more o oh, fool to think that there was any grief in any other thought the past that was gone the future there was no future to her zanoni absent but this was the night of the third day on which zanoni had told her that come what might he would visit her again it was then if she might believe him some appointed crisis in her fate and how could she tell him of glyndon's hateful words the pure and proud mind can never confide its wrongs to another only its triumphs and its happiness but at that late hour would zanoni visit her could she receive him midnight was at hand still in undefined suspense in intense anxiety she lingered in the room the quarter before midnight sounded dull and distant 
all was still and she was about to pass to her sleeping-room when she heard the hoofs of a horse at full speed the sound ceased there was a knock at the door her heart beat violently but fear gave way to another sentiment when she heard a voice too well known calling on her name she paused and then with the fearlessness of innocence descended and unbarred the door zanoni entered with a light and hasty step his horseman's cloak fitted tightly to his noble form and his broad hat drew a gloomy shade over his commanding features the girl followed him into the room she had just left trembling and blushing deeply and stood before him with a lamp she held shining upward on her cheek and the long hair that fell like a shower of light over the half-clad shoulders and heaving bust viola said zanoni in a voice that spoke deep emotion i am by thy side once more to save thee not a moment is to be lost thou must fly with me or remain the victim of the prince die i would have made the charge now i undertake another thou knowest i would thou knowest it but he is not worthy of thee the cold englishman i throw myself at thy feet have trust in me and fly he grasped her hand passionately as he dropped on his knee and looked up into her face with his bright beseeching eyes fly with thee fly with thee said viola scarcely believing her senses with me name fame honour all will be sacrificed if thou dost not then then said the wild girl falteringly and turning aside her face then i am not indifferent to thee thou wouldst not give me to another zanoni was silent but his breast heaved his cheeks flushed his eyes darted dark and impassioned fire speak exclaimed viola in jealous suspicion of his silence indifferent to me no but i dare not yet say that i love thee then what matters my fate said viola turning pale and shrinking from his side leave me i fear no danger my life and therefore my honour is in my own hands be not so mad said zanoni hark do you hear the neigh of my steed it is an alarm that warns us of the approaching peril haste or you are lost why dost thou care for me said the girl bitterly thou hast read my heart thou knowest that thou art become the lord of my destiny but to be bound beneath the weight of a cold obligation to be the beggar on the eyes of indifference to cast myself on one who loves me not that were indeed the vilest sin of my sex ah zanoni rather let me die she had thrown back her clustering hair from her face while she spoke and as she now stood with her arms drooping mournfully and her hands clasped together with the proud bitterness of her wayward spirit giving new zest and charm to her singular beauty it was impossible to conceive a slight more irresistible to the eye and heart tempt me not to thine own danger perhaps destruction exclaimed zanoni in faltering accents thou canst not dream of what thou wouldst demand come and advancing he wound his arm around her waist come viola believe at least in my friendship my honour my protection and not thy love said the italian turning on him her reproachful eyes those eyes met his and he could not withdraw from the charm of their gaze he felt her heart throbbing beneath his own her breath came warm upon his cheek he trembled he the lofty mysterious zanoni who seemed to stand aloof from his race with a burning and burning sigh he murmured viola i love thee oh he continued passionately and releasing his hold he threw himself abruptly at her feet i no more command as a woman should be wooed i woo thee 
from the first glance of those eyes from the first sound of thy voice thou becamest too fatally dear to me thou speakest of fascination it lives it breathes in thee i fled from naples to fly from thy presence it pursued me months years passed and thy sweet face still shone upon my heart i returned because i pictured thee alone and sorrowful in the world and i knew that dangers from which i might save thee were gathering near thee and around beautiful soul whose leaves i have read with reverence it was for thy sake thine alone that i would have given thee to one who might make thee happier on earth than i can viola viola thou knowest not never canst thou know how dear thou art to me it is in vain to seek for words to describe the delight the proud the full the complete and the entire delight that filled the heart of the neapolitan he whom she had considered too lofty even for love more humble to her than those she had half despised she was silent but her eyes spoke to him and then slowly as aware at last that the human love had advanced on the ideal she shrank into the terrors of a modest and virtuous nature she did not dare she did not dream to ask him the question she had so fearlessly made to glyndon but she felt a sudden coldness a sense that a barrier was yet between love and love o zanoni she murmured with downcast eyes ask me not to fly with thee tempt me not to my shame thou wouldst protect me from others o protect me from thyself poor orphan said he tenderly and canst thou think that i would ask from thee one sacrifice still less the greatest that woman can give to love as my wife i woo thee and by every tie and by every vow that can hollow and endear affection alas they have belied love to thee indeed if thou dost not know the religion that belongs to it they who truly love would seek for the treasure they obtain every bond that can make it lasting and secure viola weep not unless thou givest me the holy right to kiss away thy tears and that beautiful face no more averted drooped upon his bosom and as he bent down his lips sought the rosy mouth a long and burning kiss danger life the world forgotten suddenly zanoni tore himself from her hearst thou the wind that sighs and dies away as that wind my power to preserve thee to guard thee to foresee the storm in thy skies is gone no matter haste haste and may love supply the loss of all that it has dared to sacrifice come viola hesitated no more she threw her mantle over her shoulders and gathered up her dishevelled hair a moment and she was prepared when a sudden crash was heard below too late fool that i was too late cried zanoni in a sharp tone of agony as he hurried to the door he opened it only to be borne back by the press of armed men the room literally swarmed with the followers of the ravisher masked and armed to the teeth viola was already in the grasp of two of the myrmidons her shriek smote the ear of zanoni he sprang forward and viola heard his wild cry in a foreign tongue she saw the blades of the ruffians pointed at his breast she lost her senses and then she recovered she found herself gagged and in a carriage that was driven rapidly by the side of a mask and motionless figure the carriage stopped at the portals of a gloomy mansion the gates opened noiselessly a broad flight of steps brightly illumined was before her she was in the palace of the prince Di. end of chapter twelve recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceover-solutions.com